Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tim Moen Show. We're, we're recording from the heart of darkness in uh, northern Kanakistan. Uh, it's the middle of winter. Things are cold. Government's uh, in, imposing itself in all sorts of ways. It's, its tentacles are entwined everywhere. How do, we, how do we untangle these tentacles? How do we find a way to live free in an unfree world? Well, uh, I'm going to talk to someone who's an expert at this. My next guest, Mikhail Svetov, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is uh, the most notorious Russian libertarian. This guy has organized rallies that make the trucker convoy look like small potatoes. We're talking tens of thousands of people, 60,000 people, all fighting for liberty, all protesting and rallying for liberty in Russia, in uh, Putin, Putin territory. Uh, so I want to talk to him about how this libertarian movement has taken off in Russia, what his involvement is in that. And hopefully we get to talk a little bit about uh, the Russian-Ukrainian war and, and his take on that. Uh, so please join me in welcoming Mikhail Svetov. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to meet you. Yeah, you too. So tell tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you, you know, you just popped on my radar. Someone that listens to my show said, you got to check this guy out. And to my embarrassment, I I hadn't noticed what's going on there in Russia with the libertarian movement. And um, man, you're doing some great things over there. So so maybe inform my audience and me a little bit about your background. Right. So uh, Russia used to have a very strong libertarian movement a couple of years ago before the war started and the big purge of opposition. And we were very prominent. You mentioned that I organized several rallies. The biggest one was over 60,000 people uh, in defense of Telegram. Telegram is a very popular messaging app, uh, encrypted messaging app in Russia. And that's actually mm -hmm. one of the few uh, political successes uh, that opposition had uh, before the war. We actually managed to protect Telegram and it's still available in Russia. And right now it's the main mean of communication in Russia, even though Twitter is banned, uh, Facebook is banned, uh, Instagram is banned in Russia, but Telegram exactly. works. And yeah, and Telegram works uh, uh, in part thanks to uh, the work that I did and Libertarian Party of Russia did uh, in 2017 and 18. So I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud that I organized a series of lectures, Libertarian lectures all around Russia. Russia. I actually had a lecture tour similar to the one that uh, Jordan Peterson had around the world, but I had a lecture tour from the very east of Russia to uh, from the very west of Russia to the very east of Russia. So I went from Kaliningrad to Yuzhno-Sakhalinsk. I've uh, read lectures in over 70 cities. So it's a big feat. Nobody ever did wow. it before or after myself. So I'm very proud of that. That's one of my biggest accomplishments. And uh, another big accomplishment that I'm very proud of uh, for, for, for your listeners, it might be interesting. I invited Hans Hermann Hoppe uh, to Moscow to read a lecture. And it was actually the biggest public libertarian lecture ever held. Over 1,500 people attended. It was wow. a huge show. It was like a rock concert. Uh, recording is available on my YouTube channel, SVTV Official. Uh, it's in English. There are Russian subtitles, but if you speak English, you're going to uh, understand it. Um, easily. And I also had an interview with Hans-Hermann Hoppe. Uh, and it was a thing, uh, it was one of, uh, it was an event that was supposed to spark a series of events, but then uh, COVID happened. And then there was this big purge of opposition in Russia that I fell victim of as well. So I'm designated foreign agent in Russia, even though oh I never received any foreign money. Um, still, uh, after the war started, uh, it just everyone who was critical of Kremlin uh, 
became uh, a undesirable person in Russia. So I don't live in Russia anymore. I had to leave Russia uh, over a year ago. Okay. <laughs> and basically, and basically, if uh, if I was to return, I'll be jailed most definitely. I spent several months in jail in total uh, before for organizing political rallies. Yeah. But if I was to to return now, then it'll be game over for me. Wow. Okay. So, uh, are, do you mind telling us where you're at now, or is that are, are you on the hiding out from from Putin? No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not that important. Okay. So, uh, but still, uh, right now yeah. I'm in Dubai, but I'm oh, traveling. Okay around world and I spent most yeah. of my time in Latin America. That's crazy. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the impression we have of Putin out West here, I mean, it, I guess it kind of depends on what your politics are as to what your impression of Putin is, right? There is a, a, a branch of populism right now that is seeing Putin as kind of the, a savior of, um, uh, an anti-globalist savior, let's say that, that is, um, you know, oh, this, the, yeah, I, I know what you. I, this, this, this been, uh, this been uh, grinding my gears, so to speak, for right. years, and I've been trying to break through uh, to talk to someone from the West, from the U.S., from Canada, from Europe, to explain how wrong this idea is. First of all, Putin is not anti-globalist, or he's uh, he has his own version of globalism. And uh, in the West, you know this person, uh, Dugin, you know Alexander Dugin. Mm -hmm. Alexander uh, Dugin yeah. yeah, he has his own theory of how globalism should look like, and it's called. Uh, what do you call uh, Eurasianism? Basically, it's called. Uh, so he he has his own version of globalism, and Russia is very much uh, um, ha an empire. So uh, if you okay. think that Putin uh, that if you think that Putin is anti-globalist, you're just bonkers. So this is right. my first argument, and the second argument: Putin is not a savior of Russia. Just uh, get rid of. Oh, sorry, is not uh, a champion of Western values, of traditional Western values, whatever you think they are. Uh, he's a, a He's uh, uh, an ex-KGB uh, agent, uh, and uh, his values are not rooted in Western traditionalism. His uh, values are rooted in Bolshevism. And if you just mm. look uh, a layer deeper uh, to who he really is, if you look uh, what he done to the Russian Orthodox Church, for example. So in the West, you always see that like, you know Putin goes to church. You know he must be a believer. He built this many churches, but no, these are not churches. These are uh, occult buildings. You know. Uh, mm. Made for worshiping for worshiping something else. Just uh, Google um, um, a temple of uh, defense ministry that was built under Putin a couple of years ago. This is an insane feat. It's like something out of temple Warhammer. of defense ministry. Yeah, it's called Temple of Defense Ministry. It's uh, supposed wow. to be an Orthodox church, a Christian church. But if you look at the stained glass in this church, for example, you're going to see hammer and sickle. You're going to see a red star, a communist star. You're going to see Stalin and Lenin and all the Bolsheviks within the wow. body of church. So if you are at all a believer, if you're a Christian, you know, this is a blasphemy. This is not something you can witness inside a church. And again, in the same building, there is a, a Hitler's hat uh, who's been... Uh, being kept within the church as well. So Crazy. this is not whatever uh, Putin does with the church. Yes, he manipulates church. He manipulates. The, uh, he uses it as a part of the government. So basically, there's no real separation of uh, government and the church in Russia. Uh, and uh, whatever he does with it has nothing to do with the Christianity. To me, it feels like blasphemy. Hmm. Wow, that's a that's a lot. Um, okay, so so you're essentially exiled from Russia for the crime of uh, not being pro-establishment, essentially, pushing back yep. against some of the Russian establishment. Um, did I Do I understand correctly that that um, protests in 
Russia need to be government approved now? Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, not just now. Now there are no pro protests, so you can't right. get uh, a rally approved at all. But uh, back uh, when I was uh, organizing rallies, uh, it was possible. There were uh, two squares in Moscow where it was possible to get a government approval. Uh, still uh, very difficult. And the, one of the reasons why I, why libertarians were getting their rallies approved uh, is because we were unknowns at the time. Mm. And uh, I think uh, a lot of people in the government saw us as a kind of spoilers to a more established opposition in a sense that, you know, to to redirect focus from Alexei Navalny, uh, to redirect focus from Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who are much more, who are much more, who are much richer, who have uh, much more influence uh, and uh, much more, more resources to organize political work in Russia. Right, so right. we were the only ones who were, were capable of organizing rallies. Uh, so that's that was and, part of our success. And but, so now uh, you're also, basically yeah. a victim of your own success in a lot of ways because, uh, you know, you, you created this kind of powerful cultural or political force. And uh, obviously the, the regime had to to quash that out. So now you're you're kind of in exile. But the, let, let's yeah, go that's back. That's exactly well, what happened. That's exactly yeah, what happened. Yeah. yeah. So... <clears throat> Uh, man, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but let, let's start uh, maybe at the beginning. Where, how were you introduced to the philosophy of liberty? How did you become a libertarian? What's your background personally? Yeah, so basically, I, I grew up in a very uh, liberal family in a classical sense, uh, but then I started noticing some discrepancies in the theory, and uh, I started philosophizing in my blog. I uh, started my blog very early on. I was uh, 16 years old on LiveJournal, mm -hmm. uh, and I was I started to, like, what do you do when you're a teenager, you know, 16 years old, interested right. in politics? You invent your own political theory, and that's what I tried to do for a while, and then uh, one of the first uh, public libertarians uh, came to my comments section and basically said, well, you know, you're reinventing the wheel uh whatever you're describing it exists already you gotta read a, a libertarian um, libertarian manifesto for a new liberty you gotta read rothbard because mm. that's what you're looking for and i've read rothbard and i got hooked so very early on like i was 17 18 years old uh when i discovered libertarianism and uh, i was libertarian ever since Right. And your English is very good. Did you read uh, Rothbard in English or was it a Russian yeah, of translation? Course. No, 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 no. It was yeah. in English. And uh, I had, uh, uh, I was lucky to study in Canada, by the way. I spent oh, a year okay. in Canada and I graduated university in the United Kingdom. So that's why my English. So oh, very good. Okay. Awesome. All right. So, so you, you were introduced to this philosophy and then did you, how did the Libertarian Party in, in Russia get started? I understand it's only been, a, been about 10 years ago or something like that, or yeah, uh, so uh, there's some misunderstanding, uh, misunderstanding online. People sometimes call me a, a uh, one of the founders of Libertarian Party of Russia. I'm not. I joined pretty much right after it was founded. So like a couple of months after it was founded, it was founded just by some friends in Moscow and St. Petersburg, uh, students, very young people. And it was just, you know, uh, people talking about libertarianism, really. It was not a proper party at the time. Right. We became a proper party many years after when we started to uh, engage in local politics. So we had some um, uh, elected officials. Uh, we had some officials elected who were libertarians, very local, like on the municipal level, but right. still it was a success. Uh, and then uh, when I came back to Russia uh, six years ago, uh, I was living abroad for many years, and basically the Libertarian Party was existing on its own. I came back to Russia six years ago, and that's when uh, an actual real growth started after the rallies, after my involvement. And uh, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I 
would guess that some people would wonder how in the hell a libertarian party emerges in Russia under this regime of Putin. But I, I think I suspect I have an idea of how it grows and how you can grow to rallies of 60,000. I, I was asked this, uh, I think, by Tom Woods when I was on his podcast, you know, how is it what's going on in Canada? Canada, you know, we have Justin Trudeau. It's considered far less free by most people than than the U.S. And yet we had these giant trucker rallies and pushback against COVID mandates. And um, I, I, I'm guessing it's because exact precisely because we have a guy like Justin Trudeau in office and all these restrictions that there's this thirst and pushback for liberty. And I'm guessing it's similar there in Russia. And that's in part why yeah, you have I, such a big that, 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 That's exactly how it works. Basically, uh, the more dissatisfied people with the government, the more inclined they are to look for an alternative. So uh, there's no libertarian movement in Switzerland, for example, because it's a such a functioning society. We may be critical of it. Uh, there are right. some issues with it. But when you're Swiss, you know, don't fix when it ain't uh, don't fix what's not broken. So, right, uh, right. but once things get broken and in Russia, things are very much broken, uh, you start to look for alternatives and uh, that's what got people interested in libertarianism. And that's why we had so much success. That's, uh, one of the reasons. And, uh, um, the other reason is, uh, yeah. Okay. That's the reason. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, your, your protests are, are banned in Russia while, you know, we, we've seen something similar happen in Canada, um, in that, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau, he engaged the, it used to be called the War Measures Act. I think it's called the Emergency Act now that let the government have all these extrajudicial powers, uh, uh, you know, confiscate bank accounts. Um, I actually, I actually followed the story very closely. Yeah. You don't have to explain it to right, me. Uh, right. I, I have my, I have my own news outlet in Russia. It's called SVTV News. We actually covered uh, what's been going on with the Freedom Convoy extensively. And yes, this was terrifying. I wouldn't draw, uh, you know, I wouldn't equate what happened in Canada to what happens in Russia because you just don't know how bad Russia has it right now. Sure. But uh, it's definitely like this is a point where you have to start to resist because if you miss that point, then afterwards the resistance will become futile. So basically, right, right. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, futile to, to to try to push back in Russia right now as it is, because you'll just get incarcerated. In yeah. Canada, it's still not that late. In Canada, right. you still can make a difference. So please yes. yeah, do yeah. make a difference. Listen <laughs> to someone, you know, coming from Russia, coming from a really repressive mm. society. You're heading in the wrong di in the wrong direction. What happened okay. during a COVID? What happened with the Freedom Convoy? Uh, is it was terrifying, and it was uh, terrifying to look at. And I want to I want to get into um, talking about how we make a difference here in Canada. What can we do? Uh, but before I do, while while I have you here, I, I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to get your perspective on the the Russian Ukrainian war. Um, you know, it it's being um, it, there, there's two sides being portrayed to um, us out here in the West. On one side, it's raw raw Ukraine. They're they're protecting themselves from this this uh, evil empire, Putin's all bad, all evil. Then on the other side, we see Putin as the, this, our savior against the globalist. We touched on this a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the perspective, I guess, among anti-war types that I tend to favor, but I don't know if it's correct or not, is that, look, um, they're all kind of bad. Uh, NATO and, and Putin seem to be working in lockstep to, to crush the Ukrainian people. Um, you know, it's a little bit like uh, like the, the Cuban Missile Crisis, where you know the Soviets put uh, put missiles in Cuba, and the U.S. 
rightly weren't very fond of that idea. You know, NATO is essentially doing the same thing by moving into Ukraine right on Russia's doorstep. So no, no wonder um, Putin, you know, is, is so upset and, and defending himself. What, what is going on there from your perspective, from someone who kind of intimately knows Putin's motives and, yeah, and uh, the geopolitics there? Well, first of all, Putin is really that bad. Uh, right. Like, don't even try to glorify him. There's nothing good in him. If you lived under Putin, you would hate his regime. There's no freedom. And that's what makes me so upset about the stance that Libertarian Party of the U.S. took recently. Um, I understand their sentiment. I understand them not wanting a taxpayer's money being spent on a, on a, such a faraway war. I understand that completely. But I think you can uh, take that stance without, you know, calling Zelensky Hitler. Uh, it just makes you look bad. Uh, right. And there are so many uh, public uh, uh, speeches that are done in this kind of uh, uh, in this kind of manner. You know, calling mm. Ukrainians Nazis. No, there yeah. was no Nazism. Uh, in, in there was like, uh, I'm surprised that I have to explain it to libertarians because we used to make so many jokes about you know lefts uh, left uh, leftists calling everyone they don't like a Nazi. But now Libertarian right. Party of uh, U.S. does the same thing, and it's ridiculous. I uh, traveled to Ukraine many times. I actually gave a lecture in Ukraine in Kiev uh, about three years before the war. And I'm a Russian politician. I'm very much involved in Russian politics. I never uh, tried to. Um, to 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 get myself myself comfortable in Ukraine like some other politicians did. So uh, and I was welcomed with uh, open hands and uh, mm. everyone was inviting and uh, like there was no Russian genocide in Ukraine. This is ridiculous as well. So this is a war of folly that was started by Putin, uh, an unjust war, and this is just uh, how things are. You may right. disagree with the Western politics. You may disagree with the American government spending money on Ukraine. I understand that. I can explain that myself. But uh, don't make that mistake thinking that Putin is a good guy right. or that uh, you know Ukrainians are just as bad as Putin. I have many, many criticisms towards Ukraine. They have a corrupt government, dysfunctional government. They have very much uh, brought it upon themselves in a sense that they were not ready for the war and they didn't do good diplomacy. These are all fa fair questions. But Right. But when you say, you know, both of them are at fault, you know, both of them are guilty. This is when you uh, go too far because no, no, mm. this is a Putin's war. This was, war was not supposed to happen and people were not supposed to die. He yeah. uh, did it himself alone without the help of Ukrainians. Right. And what what is his end goal, uh, Mikhail? Is it uh, is it pushback against NATO? Is it reunifying um uh, you know, annexing Ukraine and making it part of a, a larger Soviet empire again. Um, what, what's what exactly is? Putin yeah, well, using 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 uh, Western uh, sort of uh, discourse. Yeah, it's an imperial imperialistic war. So he basically tries to join a territory that does not want to be part of Russia. That's what he does. The reason why he started the war is he gravely miscalculated his own ability, the ability of his army. He gravely miscalculated uh, um, the sentiments among Ukrainian people. So he basically expected that he will be uh, invited with open hands like it happened in Crimea in 2014. So Crimean story is completely different and we can discuss it separately. This war, uh, because in Crimea, nobody died. When annexation happened, you can disagree 
that you know international laws should not be broken but for libertarians this is a not very like strong argument right 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 uh but uh the true so the truth is like when ukraine was annexed nobody died it was a peaceful transition uh, so it's a very political issue but what happens now is a full-blown war hundreds of thousands of people died already over a hundred thousand people died uh mm -hmm. and they weren't like cities are razed to the ground. I've never seen images like what we saw in Mariupol, for example. This looks terrifying. So to answer your question, it's an imperialistic war, uh, unjustified. And the reason Putin started it is because he gravely miscalculated. I don't believe he would have started it if he knew how it, how it will pan out. But right. now it's too late. He's too involved and he hopes that he uh, can uh, switch tides somehow. I'm not sure he will be, he'll manage, but uh, politics are complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't imagine this is uh, going to do wonders for Russians economy. I can imagine that, uh, that the Russian people are going to suffer under this, um, you know, ongoing war. Uh, okay. Well, that, that was very enlightening. Thank you for that. Um, so, you know, the, again, we, we, we try to make things so black and white and almost cartoonish in the West, right? It's, it's like, if, um, you know, it, it, we do it on everything. I mean, when cannabis was illegal and we had all this crazy propaganda about uh, reefer madness and how, you know, people were going insane from, from cannabis, the pushback on it was almost as propagandistic, which is cannabis cures cancer and cures every disease there is. And, you know, the, the truth is uh, more nuanced and somewhere in the middle. And, and that sounds like uh, what we're talking about with this war. So uh, we can say definitely Putin is the bad guy here. He's as bad or worse uh, than any globalist that you might point your finger at this is a, a war of aggression because war. he's his own type of globalist that's what right. i'm trying to say right he just he's not he's not as strong uh so he cannot subjugate you know uh other countries as efficiently as maybe some other powers can but his power when uh he succeeds uh right. is much more brutal is much more vicious and uh terrifying right and all that can be true mikhail and we can also say that maybe the west ought to stay out of this one maybe we shouldn't uh extort our taxpayers and funnel money to the war machine there that maybe not very much good can come of that either and uh, um you know maybe uh, this is a this is a libertarian position and you're right. absolutely right and in my opinion the best the west can do especially the us is to uh fix its own internal issues and become an example to follow for everyone else because the the best thing americans did for liberty is not you know waging wars against iraq afghanistan or yugoslavia etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. the best the best contribution the U.S. did for liberty is becoming, you know, this shining city on the hill, this example mm -hmm. that is so good that everyone wants to follow. And I feel like the U.S. is uh, losing it uh, slowly uh, before, I, uh, before our eyes and becoming much more like Europe. Uh, and Europe is a, a much less impressive example than what the U.S. used to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, NATO hasn't had a good track record in the past couple decades in, in terms of spreading liberty, let's say. Um, you know, the, the uh, last involvement Canada or the last conflict, I guess, Canada was involved in, in um, was Libya, where we helped uh, Hillary Clinton bomb Libya for freedom. And of course, that's an open slave market. Now, when we announced that we were going to war with Libya or we we're going to depose uh, Muammar Gaddafi, uh, it actually inspired two terrorist attacks on Canadian soil. One guy shot up parliament, killed a soldier guarding a cenotaph. Another guy mowed down two Canadian soldiers and killed them with his vehicle. 
and both of those uh, terrorists cited, um, you know, Canada's involvement in that conflict as they're motivating the, the, the hair that broke the camel's back, so to speak, the straw that broke the camel's back. That's what pushed them over the edge. So our, our foreign involvement hasn't been fruitful for either the, the countries that we're trying to supposedly help and free or for our own citizens themselves. Uh, okay, let's let's move, switch yeah, gears I, a little I, bit. Just one more, uh, one more uh, thing. Um, uh, yeah, and the, the same thing happened in Iraq. Iraq is in a very poor state. If you list, uh, read uh, about politics of Iraq today, you're going to see that it's really a disaster, a post-war war consensus. But... Um, if we're going to talk about NATO, uh, just keep in mind that Putin, like what he did in Ukraine, single-handedly saved NATO's reputation, in Europe at least. So Europe, like, there was a lot of doubt about uh, what NATO's been doing for the past 20 years. Now Europe is firmly invested in NATO again, uh, and the countries that border Russia, you see Finland, you see uh, Sweden joining NATO after, you know, 60, 70 years of neutrality. Uh, and... Uh, Putin managed to reset world politics in a very bad way for everyone else. Yeah. COVID, look, nobody has a like nobody has resource to talk about COVID and lockdown policies anymore because everyone is talking about Ukraine. Uh, nobody is talking about track records of NATO, uh, track record of NATO, like what you mentioned, because now everyone sees the danger uh, from which NATO is supposed to protect European countries. Again, you are far away in Canada, uh, so it probably feels different to you, but I very much understand what the Europeans feel feel right now. And this comes three years after uh, President of uh, France, uh, Emmanuel Macron, he said that, you know, NATO lost its mind and is uh, uh, probably heading in the wrong direction. So this sentiment changed because and thanks to Putin. So when you talk about, you know, Putin being this uh, big enemy of globalism, look at what he did and look uh, at uh, this huge present that he gave to the globalist movement because the world right. is now much more united against him than it was just a year ago. Right. It's almost like the two kind of need each other. You know, NATO needs Putin, just like Putin kind of needs NATO to That's to how government it. works. Yeah. And that's why we are libertarians. Right, right. Very good. Oh, so it, while before we leave the subject uh, of, of Russian militarism, what is our risk of uh, nuclear war from your perspective? Uh, well, I think uh, you're in Canada. Canada and Europe uh, can feel safe, at least for now. Uh, I think there is a small risk of using tactical nu nuclear weapons, but again, it's not going to affect uh, anyone except people living uh, at the striking distance of the bomb. Right, like you so, say. Uh, but uh, one, sorry, um, I keep interrupting ahead. you. But, no, but one thing, you, one thing you need to understand about Putin, and I think this is a big propaganda win that the West had is that they uh, treat this war as a winnable war, uh, as in a sense that it can be totally won. Uh, and my argument is, look at North Korea. So North Korea has been, yes, isolated, but nobody really uh, has any means of uh, penetrating the system because they have a dirty bomb. They don't even have a proper nuclear bomb. They have a dirty bomb. Right. Uh, so Putin is much more dangerous. And while I don't believe in a whole blown in a blown out uh, nuclear war, I still want to uh, caution you from thinking in terms of total victory over Putin because it's not right. going to happen. Putin can be stopped. Uh, he can be pushed back. But total victory is unthinkable uh, in the world that we exist, uh, live in today. Right. Putin's getting up there in age. And I, I imagine that he's got a lot of people around him that are, are looking for signs of weakness and um, are ready to kind of pounce and maybe 
take them out or, or, you know, replace them. What, uh, what, what is next? What's, what happens post Putin in Russia from your perspective? To be honest, I think the best bet is chaos. Uh, right. He doesn't have an obvious successor. And uh, the way he's Putin, the way his system has been built uh, in the past uh, 10 years is uh, it's uh, a system of personal power. So he's basically a cornerstone of entire Putinist system that he created. So once you remove him, everyone will be after each other and it will be a hard time. Yeah. So it's going to be going to be a rough, even rougher time. For the yeah, this is, this, to my, in my opinion, this is the most uh, um, probable uh, mm -hmm. end to the Putin system. Yeah. Uh, there, there are other options. So maybe he will manage to name a successor, uh, and then things will be a little bit more stable. But um, still, it's yeah. nothing good is uh, on the horizon. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what do we do? Things are going to hell in a handbasket, Mikhail. Um, how do we how do we advance liberty in our time? Is it just just a matter of making more libertarians, persuading people uh, of the the principles of the, the non-aggression principle and property rights or something like that? Or is is it, uh, is it more involved? Is it? Uh, uh, it's more involved. First yeah. of all, uh, libertarians need to get involved in real politics, not just uh, talking about ideology, because I think I feel like uh, in the West, that's all the libertarians do. Uh, and I'm not talking about just getting elected. I'm talking about getting serious about propaganda. I'm talking about getting mm. serious about uh, uh, advancing certain causes that are within our reach. Uh, so in the US, it's easier because uh, they have uh, more freedoms than in Europe or in Canada, for example. Uh, and I think we need to let uh, concentrate on creating at least one free society, because once there is a free society, and I already mentioned it, talking about the US being this uh, shining city on the hill, uh, once there is a free society, markets will work in its favor. So what basically America does and what it did for the past uh, 100 years, it attracted the money, it attracted the, the, the uh, human resource. So People skilled at something, you know, intelligent people, uh, people who are uh, driven, you know, business driven, you know, want to create something. Uh, and this uh, was a force in itself that pushed the rest of the world towards liberty because mm. they couldn't compete otherwise. So once we lose that, the world will descend into Middle Ages. So I was much more optimistic about uh, Russia just uh, several years ago before the war because I thought that Russia can become, you know, a new frontier, like the kind of a new Wild West for the rest of the world if we manage to reform the system. But uh, today, I don't see it as an as a viable as a viable option uh, because of uh, the war and the kind of shape that Putin's power uh, takes before our eyes. So right now, I think we need to concentrate on the few free societies and make sure they remain free and make sure they become freer uh, than even, than they were before. Because if we lose that, everything is lost. Right. Okay. So how, how do we push back against it? There, there, there seems to be, a, you know, that we have populism, right? We, that seems to be a growing movement. seems to be a little bit all over the map, uh, a little bit disjointed in terms of messaging and, and um, focus. And um, how do we kind of maybe co-op that movement or, or direct it in the right direction? I think libertarians have a great potential of uh, seizing a populist movement because a lot of our uh, 
um, because we're not in, first of all, we're not invested into the establishment uh, and because we can take so many populist positions. So we can criticize government uh, for almost everything because we don't want government to do much, right? Uh, we can uh, concentrate on criticizing government for all the failures in the society. And I don't think that uh, libertarians do that enough, to be honest. So uh, this is, so we, libertarians need to become populists. And I think they start to realize that, especially looking at the Libertarian Party of the US, but they're not heading in the right direction. So they, uh, right now they just parrot uh, conservative talking points, which right. is not enough to, to, to win uh, enough of support to even conservatives are unable to win enough of support, you know, to to get enough power to reform the country. And now here you are, a libertarian who's just parroting mm -hmm. what they are saying. So th this is a wrong. Um, this is a wrong uh, direction. I think uh, you need to. We need to become ultra populists. That's I, I, I'm, I strongly believe in that. Right. Uh, we need to take every winnable cause and show how government ruins it for everyone. Uh, and uh, today it's easier than ever. And it would have been much easier if it wasn't for Putin you know, starting the war. But it's much easier than ever because everyone saw a failure that politics of lockdowns were. Everyone mm -hmm. saw a failure of like what happened in Canada with the Freedom Convoy, what the Trudeau did with Emergency Act. Everyone saw the governments, you know, uh, showing its teeth. Uh, so right. this is a time to push back. This is a time, you know, and, and right now um, I'm, we're, we're doing this interview yesterday, I believe um, the, uh, a bunch of grocers, the head of, of uh, some giant grocery chains here in Canada were called to parliament to, to, you know, explain to parliament why they're causing food inflation. Why are they price gouging Canadians? Why are they uh, profiteering? Uh, from Canadians. And, you know, of course, so here, here's a perfect populist opportunity. Yeah, we're feeling it at the grocery store right now. Things are expensive. Why is it that, it, you know, how do we explain this? Well, the left is explaining it by corporate greed, as if corporations suddenly got greedy for the first time in history in the past two years. And that's why everything's going up in price. Of course, libertarians actually have the answer to this and, uh, and can explain why prices are going through the roof um so is that the kind of thing you're talking about like seizing those moments to be like yeah here. seizing those moments and uh, using them smartly so i can again i can invent certain situations if we're talking about you know the price of goods uh, the best thing uh the best thing you can do is basically show the producer can show that uh, you know how much of the cost the taxation is actually a part of right so this way they will realize uh, I'm right. not talking. I'm not just talking about VAT because VAT is a final tax that levied that is levied on a final product when it's uh, changing hands. I'm talking about you know all the taxation that uh, are taken right. away from this uh, from the worker salary that are taken from the you know uh, corporate tax, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a huge amount. People just don't realize. People think you know oh I'm paying a VAT, which is I don't know how much it's in Canada, twenty percent probably something like that, uh, and this is this is it. But no, then you, you need to add up you know how much uh, money you paid from your own salary. You need to to uh, add up how much uh, uh, money has been paid from the salary of the worker who worked on the item, et cetera, et cetera. Right, it's, right. it's gonna add up to like 80, 90% and people don't realize that. So this is one thing that we need to talk about more often. And I was quite uh, effective actually. I was uh, using the tactic, this tactic in Russia when I was talking about politics and um, uh, harm that government does. Um, another thing is uh, we need to talk more about freedom of association. I think uh, that, uh, modern cultural wars are unsolvable by the government uh, and the only real solution is to 
give people freedom of association back. So basically what it means, it means that a lot of cultural issues can be solved on municipal level and not everybody has to live in the same kind of environment. So it's okay that in some places, you know, you have rainbow flags and in other places you have, you know, uh, churches and people living uh, a conservative lifestyle. Uh, it's okay that in some places you have, you know, um, drugs are allowed for example and in another place they are forbidden us has been right. has like part of the reason of the us success is that it's so decentralized that you get mm -hmm. places like uh, pennsylvania you know with all the mormons living there and uh, uh amishes you know living basically how they lived in the 19th century and then you have las vegas a, a city of thousand sins you know the prostitution right. is legal um drugs are easily available and they're not bothering each other they're completely different if you try to mix them together if you try to push them to live together then you'll get a cultural clash then you'll right. get a social problem but if you let them be you know uh this is uh this is the approach that i, I think this is the only right. viable approach for solving um cultural war uh, and we need to talk about it more because yeah. right now again looking at the uh, american uh, uh libertarians uh, i'm sorry i just don't know much about about Canadian libertarians, so it's hard yeah. for me to use it as an example. Fair, fair. But looking at but looking at the American libertarians, uh, I noticed that they parrot conservative talking points, and that's not a winning strategy for us. Right. Well, I think what's happening in the states is that they they've kind of looked at um, the 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 you know previous couple presidential candidates in the libertarian party down there. You had uh, Joe Jorgensen and uh, Gary Johnson, and they they were um, addressing kind of leftist top talking points, right? So they they were, and and this was driving, um, you know, those who are more culturally, I guess, right wing in the libertarian movement, insane. So, you know, you had Joe Jorgensen, for example, uh, gave at, at her speech, talked about how it's not enough to just not be racist. We have to be actively anti-racist. Now that was taken out of context and it was spun by people going, no, oh, this is crazy. You're caving to the woke agenda and you're, you're just, you know, supporting the progressive blah 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 i mean i i listened to her speech i thought it was reasonable what she was saying was you know this is the we need to be actively libertarian we have to be actively individualist if we want to push back against government largesse and she i thought she was trying to address kind of a populist point or at least a a prevalent point that is out there which is racism is a real issue what's your solution to it and she was trying to address that but it, it seems like you know the right definitely didn't like that they they thought okay well she's she's signaling that she's woke and she's progressive and that's bad uh so first of all i just want to stress that this is a, a not uh a, it's not a modern schism so it's not just something that right. started to happen with Trump's era. Well, just let's just look back a little bit. Uh, we had the same kind of split during a Rothbard uh, period when you had uh, Cato Institute splitting into Cato and right. Mises. So it's uh, we basically have two conflicting schools of libertarianism, and you need to realize that it's not going to solve itself. It's not like the left uh, the left is wrong or the right is wrong. Um, the split happened very very early on, uh, and uh, I didn't like Joe Jorgensen. I didn't like her speech. I listened closely to them uh, during the presidential campaign, uh, and uh, I actually sympathized a lot uh, with Mrs. Caucus uh, mm -hmm. when they were getting elected. Uh, I actually wrote, a, a, not I, but in my uh, news outlet, we actually wrote a big article about why these things were happening, because similar kind of split happened in the Libertarian Party of Russia just a year before um, just before, just a year before 
uh, Mrs. Caucus took over uh, Libertarian Party of the US. So uh, it was very similar and familiar to what I was seeing. Uh, but again, the issue is not left with the right. I think we need to talk more about freedom of association. Right. Uh, and it solves a lot of issues. It doesn't solve every issue, but it solves a lot of issues within uh, libertarian movement uh, and within the society as well. Uh, and I think the, the, a, 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 very, a big disservice that uh, things like... Um, um, like Freedom Project, um, Free State Project did for a libertarian movement. I love right. Free State Project, but yeah. I think there's a problem with that. Is that they sort of created this idea that uh, libertarian is libertarians are homo homogenic uh, mm. people that right. uh, you know we want to live with each other, but that's no, we want that's to work I can't with stand a lot of libertarians. They're exactly, <laughs> and, and, and we need I to talk want to live about with these it. people. I'd rather live with my we, status neighbor than most libertarians. I need to be honest. exactly, and that, I, I actually <laughs> use the same talk point in one of my lectures uh, because uh, we we are united against the tyranny we are united against the government but it doesn't mean we should live together that's not right. the point the point is we want to be uh, comfortable neighbors we want to live separately you know at a distance from each other uh, being able to create our own like tiny societies like Hoppe would call them um, yeah, for example communities uh, yeah, covenant communities exactly uh, and we don't talk about it anymore I feel like mm. uh, uh, like level of uh, de libertarian discourse is very, very low in the West today, right. unfortunately. Well, that's fair. We're, we're getting drug into the mud, I think, by a lot of the populist, you know, alt-right pushback, you know, th that sort of thing. Right. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's been kind of a difficult thing. You know, another, another thing is uh, like in Canada, one of the things that uh, took the wind out of the sale of, I guess, the libertarian party was the the formation of a populist party called the People's Party of Canada, led by Maxime Bernier, and they, they've they're pseudo libertarian. I mean, a lot of the the their points are you know crossover to libertarian things, but of course he uh, wants the government doing things as well, like regulating drugs and um, having control over migration and different things like that. And I'm I'm certainly sympathetic to the idea of closed borders, open borders. I think that's probably the wrong way to look at it. Again, it's freedom of association. Why Why are the people moving across this uh, government line over in Quebec on Roxham Road pertinent to me? I live 2,000 miles away from that place. So why does it bother me? Well, it bothers me because I'm forced into association with them. The, how they vote affects me. When they use healthcare, it affects me. When they use the roads and everything and social services, all that affects me because uh, I'm forced into association with them. And so, you know, the libertarian message that I, I want to get out to these populists is, look, um, the reason we're fighting over over borders is because we are forced into association with each other. Let's let's have let's promote freedom of association, uh, and, and then these border issues won't be a fight anymore. Yeah, what I did uh, when I was talking about these issues in Russia is actually I tried to validate every cultural view that I encountered. So right. I didn't care if a person was a conservative, a Christian or LGBTQ, whatever, uh, liberal. I was saying your views are valid and to protect your way of life, to protect your lifestyle, uh, we need to have a system of of right that allows us to freely associate because otherwise mm. we'll always be in conflict otherwise we'll always be um we'll always be ruining life for each other uh, and it, it, it worked it uh worked uh, to a surprising number of people but you need to talk about it constantly yeah no that's a that's a really good point and you know it's one thing i try to do is meet the audience where they're at and address their concerns and show them 
how liberty uh, is the answer. Um, okay, so uh, you are currently right now kind of on the run from Putin a little bit. You're in Dubai. Um, what what are your next plans? What's what's on the agenda? What's what's uh, your project? I guess your life project right now. Well, that's a great question. So uh, I, I have this. I run this news outlet that I mentioned, uh, which is uh, one of the biggest libertarian news outlets in the world. I think right. we're not. And as we'll, we'll, reason, put a, uh, we'll put a link to that, guys. Yeah. Well, um, unfortunately, it's in Russian, but uh, but you, uh, we'll about. definitely link to that the Hans Hermann Hoppe lecture, which is in English, yeah. like you said. Definitely right? do. And, and definitely. Yeah. And to my conversation with him, I had actually two video, two separate videos. Right. So I'll get those links from you one. and put them in the show notes. Yeah, uh, so um, I'm trying to create a proper news outlet, uh, so and succeeding, fortunately, uh, and uh, thinking what my next move can be, because during wartime, it's very hard to do ideological politics. It's very difficult to talk about ideology because people are mm -hmm. dying uh, and everyone yeah. just wants the war to end. So um, basically, there's not much I can really do. And unfortunately uh, for me, libertarian movement, like global libertarian movement is uh, so... Uh, dispersed nobody's talking to each other so i've been trying to right. get in touch with the american libertarians for 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 over a year and they're just not uh, open to communication unfortunately i've been trying to establish hmm. some connections maybe to create uh, a network you know uh, something similar to what the the leftists have for example so leftists have international uh, and they always help each other and it's so obvious especially now uh being russian uh we had some uh Russian politician, like uh, Russian bloggers, really, uh, who uh, got uh, in the same trouble that I got, who were designated foreign agent. And there's this uh, blogger whose uh, name is Andrei Rudoy. He's a communist, like a Bolshevik. Uh, and basically, the moment he was designated uh, a foreign agent, uh, he got uh, a special plane delivered to him from France by Emmanuel Macron's uh, um, advisor. Uh, not advisor. Uh, what's his name? Um adversary uh he was running for the election doesn't matter so there's this big communist politician in france and he basically rescued uh, andrey rudoy from russia after uh, after he was designated a foreign agent uh, and libertarians they don't even do blogs with each other they don't even talk like we do right now right <laughs> so right this needs this needs to be fixed yeah. because we're gonna uh, a libertarian movement have to become global if it's not if it's not going to become global we're going to lose to the globalists and it mm. may sounds like a contradiction hey you're suggesting you know we become globalists no uh, we become a global power that protects local autonomy right right uh, so this is the direction we need to move that's to. funny if, actually if we, if we, you know no. i was uh i was uh i've been talking with some of these populists lately um on, on my show and and they're they're always focused on the globalists and the globalists are controlling everything. They're getting into our cities with these 15 minute cities and smart cities. And, you know, the problem is the globalists, the globalists, the globalists. And I started to think, well, how do I become a globalist for Liberty? Like I, I need to get involved. So this is a perfect timing uh, here. Listen, guys, if you are listening to this, if you're in the U S um, libertarian party, uh, connect with Mikhail here. Um, I, I've, I've, Please do. interviewed uh, Angela McArdle, the the chairman of the the Libertarian Party. Before, okay. To be fair, to be fair, we actually agreed on having a conversation with Angela. Uh, it didn't happen yet, okay. but uh, the talks are in process. So hopefully, awesome. it's going to happen. Yeah, I hope it does happen. And and you know, let me know how how I can help, how we can become uh, globalists for uh, decentralization and and liberty. Um, I, I love that idea. I you know, I uh, when I was leader of the Libertarian Party here in Canada. Um, I 
I signed on with, uh, there, there was an international association of libertarian parties. I don't know how active they are or how connected they are, but, uh, I'll definitely, uh, reach out to those guys. Um, cause there, there are people like you that are trying to create an international network uh, of liberty. I love that idea. Um, yeah, I think we, we should, every libertarian should strive towards that goal because we'll be able to amplify each other voices. That's what left does. And that's what makes yeah. them global power. They amplify each other voices and, uh, even uh, like you may see, you may uh, regard yourself, not you personally, but uh, someone watching this show uh, uh, as an anti-globalist. But the truth is you're still talking within the kind of uh, uh, frame, news frame that globalists uh, uh, present. So you're discussing the talking points that you get from CNN uh, mm -hmm. because they have so much influence, so much power. And why they have so much influence, so much power? Because they introduce similar talking points in France, in England, in Australia, in the United States, in uh, uh, Canada. Look uh, uh, how uh, what happened to, again, COVID, like lockdowns. Uh, it was not a local initiative. It was an initiative that was uh, introduced globally in every single country. And all you had to do, and all you the only thing you could do is to react to it somehow, to resist. But this is much less efficient than being able to introduce your own talking points. And for mm. that, you need to become a global power. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, so becoming a global power is is the key. And it sounds like you're on your way to doing that with your your media uh, company and, and your news uh, news site. Uh, hopefully you become a media empire in, in competition with CNN and some of these other. Uh, hopefully. Other, uh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's tough. You know, that part of the problem, too, is educating people that the problem with globalism is that it's statism. And um, and so, you know, a lot of nationalism is is just state is it's just globalism on a more local level you know and so um while decentralization is the goal um you know pushing back against statism i, I think is the ultimate goal and um you know we need to do that at all levels you know there, there's for example just we local need to stop we need to stop playing catching up and as right. long as you just working locally you are uh, doomed to play catch up all your life Right, right. Well, and that's interesting because uh, you know I was talking, uh, talking with a lady yesterday about what's happening in some of the some local communities here in in Alberta. Very rural, very small, very sparsely populated. Uh, the, this one community, this one county, uh, implemented all these rules about how how farmers were allowed to operate their farm, including they had to get a permit. If they wanted to put up a barbed wire fence, they could only have five chickens unless they got a permit for more. You know, if a shed hadn't been used in six months, they had to tear it down or something like that, which is just uh, these rules that are, you look at them as a farmer, as a rural person and go, these, these are crazy. And then when they looked at where these rules came from, well, they came from this, uh, this corporation that was hired for $100,000 to consult about land use bylaws. And it was located in India. And, uh, you know, it has all these connections to like the UN, uh, you know, so, so they're making all these connections back to uh, the UN and see, look, that's the problem. The UN's controlling this. Well, there's another community next to this one it has no connections to the U UN, but it outlawed uh, spitting, swearing, and dancing publicly. You know, it's kind of like uh, the premise of Footloose. Remember that movie Footloose where they, so I don't care. <laughs> I don't care whether it's Klaus Schwab saying I can't have chickens or just my local mayor saying I can't have chickens. Uh, that's all statism 
from my perspective. And yeah, um, but the, the, there is there is a big difference though, because once uh, Klaus Schwab uh, says that, you know, you have nowhere to run because it becomes true. pretty much a norm everywhere you look. Uh, when it happens on the local level, you can always uh, vote with your feet and move, you know, to the next city. Um, that's why localism is so much better than globalism. yeah, absolutely. You, you get no uh, no complaints from me about that uh, for sure. Um, okay. So SVTV is where folks can can find you. Um, well, again, I'm going to get those links with for, for the English speaking Hoppe uh, lectures and, and interviews. Post them in the show notes. Any any last um, words of wisdom or advice for uh, Canadians who are feeling the the weight of government on them right now? Yeah, you need to resist every single day because uh, once you know think things advance. Uh, Toward, uh, sorry, I'm not. Uh, uh, so you need, like freedom requires our defense all the time. If we don't release, uh, if we don't uh, uh, resist government pressure all the time, then at certain point government will become so big that it will be too late to resist. And uh, I saw it uh, happening before my own eyes in Russia. Uh, these kind of things happened in Europe, I would say. Uh, and I think Canada and the US are very close to that sort of red line where it becomes very difficult to advance the ideas of freedom. So you need to act now and you need to start think globally because if you keep playing catching up, you will keep losing. Uh, that's not a winning game. Uh, it doesn't matter how much uh, you know your local government grinds your gears uh, unless you uh, learn to talk to people in, in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Russia, in China, in India, uh, and work towards this a common goal, you will keep losing to people who are managed who manage to uh, become uh, a unified power. It's like in, in the Bible, you know, one twig can be snapped very easily, but if you put them together, they are much stronger. And you need to become, you don't need to become a one solid entity, but you need to learn, we need to learn to work together. Otherwise, yeah. uh, we're going to lose one by one. We need to be a bundle of sticks. There's an English word for that. I can't yeah, remember exactly, what it is. Exactly. It shall not yeah. be named. Um, yeah. How do we, I, I think, I, I love that idea because, you know, right now there, there is also a push for, for localism, right? It's like, okay, look, we're not going to affect these um, policies on a national level, uh, but you can affect your policies at the local level within your town council and, and focus on that. But you're saying no. we need to this do more is, of that. This is a losing game. Yes, this okay. is a losing game. This is basically the same kind of mentality that uh, gets people, you know, to move and uh, become homesteaders. Right. Uh, you're just... Uh, you're just uh, postponing the inevitable. The government will come for you. Yeah, you will right. not be the first in line, but you will be the one who will have no uh, reproach against the government. Uh, right. So, so when you say so, we need to work globally and 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 network together, what kind of things are are, are we talking about? Is this is this a battle of ideas uh, on on the world stage, or what is it? It's a it's a battle of it's a battle of ideas, but it's yeah. also a battle for money because without money you can't do anything. Uh, and the left today has so much money. And right now, look at Elon Musk, for example. He's probably the only billionaire who got uh, you know who understood uh, an ideology of freedom, and he's all alone. And look how quickly he becomes marginalized before our eyes because there's no media that could support him there are mm. few media outlets but uh, they're not as influential as this global you know liberal news networks that exist everywhere else so we need to start working you know creating media uh, finding our own uh, millionaires to help us uh 
creating our own discourses, you know, introducing our own talking points. And like, for example, the reason why Donald Trump is so hated and Steve Bannon is so hated because Steve Bannon is one of the few people, and I'm not saying I agree with him, I'm just uh, commenting on his work. He's one of the few people who managed to introduce his own talking points into a global uh, information, uh, you know, sphere, network, right. whatever you call it. Um, and But he did it by chance. He sort of... Uh, uh, managed to feel, you know, the nerve of the the zeitgeist of right. of the era uh, in 2016. So he tapped into this very right. successful. He saw a wave but, building and caught it with the surfboard. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But he he's not capable of uh, creating his own wave, and that's what left right. left us all the time, every year, one wave after another. Mm. And looks how quick and look how quickly things change. Right. Uh, again, I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, broadcasting my own ideas right now. I'm just commenting on no. what's going on. Look what happened to Joan Rowling, for example, just 10 years ago, 15 years ago, she was a feminist icon. Today, she's a transphobe. She's almost a fascist. Right. Uh, and they did it in 15 years. That's a huge change. Mm. That's a huge change in sentiment. That's right, a huge right. change in sort of mind, for, uh, like the kind of people, the way people think. And how did they did it? By bombarding you wave right. after wave uh, by ideology uh, until we create a similar system that works in right. unison with each other, that yeah. uh, is capable to deliver its own message, uh, not as a reaction, but as something that cannot be ignored. This is when we start winning. Well, one, one of the problems I see with... Um you know, let's say conservatives or the right wing in Canada, for example, is that they are, they're anti-Trudeau. The Trudeau is the, the bane of all our existence. And, you know, I continually tell these people, look, Trudeau is, is just, uh, you know, he didn't create the parade. He didn't <laughs> create the wave. He's just being the best at surfing it. You know, the, if you want to see who's controlling Canada, look at who is controlling culture look at the radicals on the left that are pulling the overton window way over the left and this is why the yeah. conservative party and everyone is is has to uh has to have leftist talking points and talk about climate management to climate change and you know my argument has always been we need our radicals up on that political stage as well absolutely things towards I actually right. i'm i'm sorry for interrupting i no, actually gave a lecture in colombia i was uh, invited to give a speech uh, on the uh, on the libertarian forum there uh, i gave a lecture in colombia exactly talking about that in english you can again find it on youtube uh, where i was talking that libertarians need to have their own radicals because right. the left will create you a reputation of radical does not of radical does not matter what you do. Uh, sorry, my English has gotten worse. No, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, so the the le the left will uh, make you a radical in people's eyes anyway. Doesn't matter how you know tame you're trying to be. You'll always be a marginal. You'll always be a freak. Uh, you'll always uh, you be you be that freaky guy you know who nobody listens to, uh, unless you'll get your own radicals who um, who will work as a shield for you. You know who will make you look more tame. Right. Comparison. This is this is very important. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and this was my plan. You know, I'll tell you a little story. Um, conservative. When uh, Stephen Harper lost the federal election to Justin Trudeau, I think it was 2015. Um, he stepped down and I knew there was going to be a leadership race to, to replace him. And Maxime Bernier was a conservative candidate who had said a lot of things that were vaguely libertarian. I mean, he he quoted Mises and uh and hayek and you know he identified with the, the the austrian school of economics so that was very appealing and so you know he was he's a quebecer 
And, and so we knew that um, we'd have to show him that there would be support for him in Western Canada, which is typically seen as anti-Quebec. That's the perception folks have of Western Canada. So we flew Bernier, my, my team and I flew Bernier out West, connected him with, uh, you know, fundraisers and, and supporters. And we wanted to show him that, look, if he threw his name in the race for conservative leader, he would be supported out West. Now, my goal here was to get this libertarian-ish guy in the conservative party, you know, talking about a 15% flat tax, um, standing next to me who was talking about abolishing the income tax altogether i would be the radical for bernier i didn't want because if if right now in canada if Ber, if, if the conservative leader were to go out on stage without a radical like me beside them and say 15 percent flat tax he would look crazy he would look like the radical <laughs> he looked like an extremist right but next to me he looks like a a moderate and so that that was my plan was to get bernier into the conservative party leadership and that way I could be the radical for him, cut a swath for him, make it safe for him to talk about slightly more liberty. But um, it, we lost by 1%. And then, you know, things kind of yeah, went down. My, 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 uh, my comment on that is that you're not radical enough. It's not right. enough to talk about zero taxation. Uh, this is a very pedestrian talking point. Sure. No, you need to have guys, you know, like BLM, you know, trying mm. to incite a libertarian revolution on the streets, you know. I see. Talking within the libertarian discourse. And the great thing about libertarianism is that uh, libertarianism allows for uh, a revolutionary discourse, and we're not talking about it at all because basically, if government is uh, a like a, um, if if uh, taxation is theft, if government is an oppressor, then uh, the duty of every citizen, you know, to fight the oppressor. So the the moral right. justification is right there. We haven't seen anyone uh, going taking down the streets. Uh, using that message uh, and there are people who are willing and i think they're just sure. uh, uh do, I, I, do you know yeah. uh Chris, who christopher cantwell is i'm not sure he was he was a radical libertarian in the u.s uh he he i think he got arrested because of some stuff that came out of charlottesville um he he kind of went fascist or or i think he might have even identified as a nazi but at one point he was a hardcore and cap libertarian who advocated for uh armed resistance he said unless yeah. we have have uh freedom loving people shooting cops we're never going to see liberty you need to be willing to use violence against this oppressive state and i will debate anyone stefan molyneux from freedom main radio whoever uh, yeah def defensive violence yeah, defensive violence, but you know, to him, shooting cops was is always defensive because they're of course an enemy yeah, of the state. Or that's whatever. that's 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 what I'm saying. Yeah, right, right. So, so what you're okay? Good. <laughs> that this is where I wanted to go. So, obviously, I'm not willing to go out there and be cannon fodder. But you're saying we shouldn't discourage. Don't call it. Who... Don't don't call it cannon fodder. I okay. think uh, again. We need to learn from the left. The left are much more savvy politicians than libertarians mm. at the moment. Uh, and look what they do. They never condemn uh, radicals. They right. always find justification. They always say, we're not like them, but these actions are justified because gotcha. of this, this, and this. We, right. uh, libertarians never do that. They see something you know, slightly uncomfortable. Someone who's called mm. a fascist, and you know, well, I'm yeah. not a fascist. You know, right. this guy is wrong. This guy's not. He has his own reasons. 
you know, he uh, uh, he's a radical and it's a sad, you know, it's a sad world we're living in where people have to be radical, et cetera, et cetera. It's a different kind of attitude right now. Uh, whenever someone is criticized by the media, whenever someone is uh, ostracized by the liberals, uh, libertarians always take this position, you know, I'm not with this guy. Yes, you are. You are with this guy. He's just misunderstood, you know. He's uh, he's in a bad uh, place right now because of the government oppression. That's the kind of attitudes mainstream libertarians need to adapt, need to adopt towards radicals if uh, we ever to 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 change things around us. Interesting, interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll have to wrap my brain around that. Um, I, you you may be right. Here's where I'm feeling some resistance. I guess is um, adopting the the strategies of our enemies. Um, it, it's almost like, uh, the, the means create the ends. You know what I mean? Uh, I know what you mean, but I disagree yeah. and uh, okay. I can explain, explain Please. why, um, because, uh, when we say that means do not just, uh, that means, oh, sorry. That when we say that ends do not justify the means, uh, we mean the means of, uh, violent aggression. That's the only right. mean that is not justified. Everything gotcha. else is justified. So, uh, I just don't think that it applies to the kind of situation we're discussing. All right. So you're saying that, uh, that, okay, I got gotcha. you very, we, very we, good. Yeah, no, th this is, uh, this is blowing my mind. It's making me feel very uncomfortable. I got to be honest with you, but I, I, I don't have necessarily have an argument against it. Um, that's good. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's it, fair points. And, uh, you know, th there may be some, I guess, tactical or strategic arguments about when, when, you know, for example, and, and I actually, I asked this, um, I, I moderated the vice presidential uh, debate for the Libertarian Party in the U.S. one year. And my my question was this. I said, um, you know, Canada on, I can't remember, on some OECD index, freedom index, is actually about the same or slightly better than the U.S. Um, was the revolution? That's nonsense, though. <laughs> it, it probably is. But I, I'm like, what was the uh, was the Revolutionary War worth it, considering that Canada and U.S. are roughly equal in terms of freedom? And when do you personally uh, personally recommend violent revolution? And um, you know, I guess that's that's my question to you. Uh, you so <laughs> yeah, uh, first of all, uh, defensive revolution, not violent revolution. Uh, right, sure. You know, we're defending defensive our violence. Yeah, defensive violence. Uh, second of all, uh, these uh, kind of statistics are absolutely uh, bonker. Uh, like they don't re reflect the reality. Of course, um, yeah. And the United States are is a much freer society than Canada, uh, and especially if you look at these uh, statistics uh, during the COVID era. You know, the countries that are. Uh, most oppressive, like New Zealand and Australia, are the most democratic. How is it possible you have your entire na right. nation locked under house arrest without, uh, uh, you know, the decision of the court uh, for a year or more? And you call it a democracy? Well, then something is wrong with the uh, with the uh, with the, this index that you're using. So I, I wouldn't take them seriously at all, uh, and I don't take this argument uh, seriously regarding do do you have to have a um, a revolution to to be free? Yes, because. The United States became an example for the rest of the world uh, thanks to that revolution, and that's what made the re rest of the world change itself. Uh, mm. you, you're missing the vital part. If there was no American Revolution, there would be uh, no freedom movement in Europe. There would be no freedom uh, movement towards freedom in Canada. Uh, we would have lived in a 
vastly different society today. So of course uh, it changed, it just didn't change. Uh, American Revolution did not just change the US, it changed the entire world. And that's what's right. important. The, the, um, the argument, uh, I don't know if you've read Michael Malice's new book, The White Pill. Um, mm -hmm. He talks about how, you know, I guess Soviet, the Soviet uh, bloc dissolved relatively peacefully um, without violent revolution. Do you think something like that is possible in the West? Uh, in the West, uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union came out of nowhere. Uh, nobody could predict right. it. So I think if something happens in the West, it will be just as sudden and uh, just as unexpected. So I, I, I don't want to speculate. But uh, just to give you another uh, example, Soviet Union is another great example of how revolution in one country changed the world. So it, mm. Soviet revolution did not just change Russia. Uh, it changed the course of Korea. It changed the course of uh, uh, West, uh, Eastern Europe, sorry. It changed the course of China. It changed the co course of the entire world. The same kind of seismic event. American Revolution was the same kind of seismic event. Mm. Uh, it may be uh, more difficult to trace, but it actually uh, was uh, much more powerful as an event um, than uh, the Soviet Revolution. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Well, Mikhail, I've, I've kept you on here for more than an hour. This has been fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm going to digest these, these points you have. I feel like I need to come up with an argument against them. I can't. I don't have one now. I maybe you. You may be embrace right. Them. Embrace them. Embrace I'll, them. Maybe I'm I right. I've been talking them. about. I've been talking about it for years. Oh, uh, so you know I, what's I making me much... uncomfortable is <laughs> I, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose. My, I'm going to be. Uh, I tell you. But it was a uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, it was a great conversation. Finally, with someone uh, uh, from from the West. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to do whatever I can to get. I, it's it's an absolute uh, crime. Uh, worthy of violating the non-aggression principle to, to, <laughs> that I've only found out about you in the last couple of days. I, I don't know what that says about me or, or the media or our little microcosms of, of activism out west here, but we something that definitely needs to be corrected because if there's more, there's probably more people like you out there that we don't know about. We need to connect together and we need that global Absolutely. force for liberty. So thank yeah. you so much for, uh, for, uh, coming on the show and it was fascinating. I'm sure we'll have you on again someday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. Um, thanks everyone for watching. Bye.